Manchester City Continental Cup winners 2022. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of MCW Fancast. I'm Emma, thanks for listening. Last week, the Blues travelled to Prenton Park to take on Liverpool in the Women's Super League. It was a tough test away from home, but the team were determined to secure three points in their season campaign. Unfortunately, they suffered a disappointing defeat, which they'll have to carry into their next fixture, the Manchester Derby. However, it's not all doom and gloom as the derby provides the perfect opportunity for the team to get some good preparation behind them as our opponents Manchester United will be heading into the game off the back of their FA Cup final defeat against Chelsea. But enough about recent results, let's get into the latest news from around the club. We're thrilled to have Dave and Paul with us back on the podcast this week as we also discuss the appointment of Niels Nilsson as Director of Women's Football. It's an exciting time for the club and we cannot wait to see what the future holds. So sit back, relax and let's get straight into it. This is MCW Fancast. Dave, Paul, thanks for joining me. Paul, how you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Slightly disappointed by the result of the weekend, but other than that, I'm good. Yeah, Dave, you okay? Yeah, same really. I mean, yeah, we, we, me and Paul were both on the coach last Sunday, so uh, we experienced it together. It wasn't the best, but uh, other than that, yeah, we're fine. Good. Uh, let's get straight into it. Obviously, as you say, disappointing result away from home at the weekend against Liverpool. Uh, Dave, we'll start with you. Tough day at the office. Yeah, it really was, Emma. It was, as you say, very disappointing. I think we accepted before, you know, a few weeks ago for us to to, to keep our challenge up for this top three. Um, we needed to win every game. Um, we did that in the two home games. Then we went to Liverpool knowing, you know, yet again, another must win. And unfortunately, um, we just weren't at it on the day. A lot's been said, we, you know, a lot of people there will have witnessed some very, very strange refereeing decisions went on on the day, but that's not an excuse to, you know, I think on, if we're being honest, the better team on the day won. Uh, Liverpool played well, they were organised and resolute. Um, and City just seemed a little bit uh, disjointed at times, a little bit lacking of ideas and had a real off day and, as you say, a real bad day at the office for us. Yeah, uh, and Paul, you were at the game as well. I mean... <sighs> It, it's really hard to pinpoint one particular thing. I just think it was a, a, a genuinely really disappointing, poor performance from the team on the day. Yeah, it, it was very disjointed, as Dave says. Um, it felt like, it almost felt like going back to the start of the season when they weren't quite gelled. And, and up until this point, they've, you know, they've done really well in gelling. But I think it's probably showed that we're one or two players still short of you know, be it a challenge for the for the title next season. So with the new director of football coming in and promising some new signings and, and you know, m- and making sure that we keep the players that we've got, that we want to keep, that's going to be really important. I, I felt there was a couple of things that were really off on the day. Um, we were, we the fan, the away fans, the city fans were at one end of the ground. We were actually segregated for this one. It was an away end. Um, so we were able to see um, in the first half them playing out from the back and it seemed that they were very disjointed playing out from the back um, and that was collectively but the first goal was a shocker um, it was a really bad uh, uh, ball out it was badly controlled we gave a silly goal away and we were really quite disjointed at the back I felt playing it out which we which we normally very good at yeah. and we didn't seem to be playing through uh, Hasegawa uh, as we normally do. She seemed on the periphery of the game to me all the way through. And the midfield just didn't seem to get a grip of um, 
quite a good, a strong press from from a decent Liverpool side, a well organised Liverpool side. So let's take nothing away from Liverpool. They played well, they pressed well, they worked hard, uh, and they looked, you know, more at it than we did. Um, but we just, I, and I thought the decision making at times w- w- wasn't quite there. They normally, we're very good at making decisions, moving the ball out wide, you know, keeping the ball tight in midfield. We kept running into trouble, um, and it just seemed that. Just it was a collective malaise on the day, uh, and if we play like that in the derby, we'll get a hammering. But and here's the caveat: I don't expect them to play like that in the derby. They'll have been on the training pitch. They'll have worked out what went wrong, and I'm confident when we go to the derby, we'll see a proper city performance. We didn't get one at the weekend, um, but I don't think that'll happen again. Yeah, well, certainly we need to see an improvement. I think, you know, in terms of possession, I think. We had a lot of the ball against 67, I think, uh, in terms of possession, passing accuracy, 80%. But the shots on targets, the opportunities on goal, it just wasn't there. It just wasn't there. I mean, we've seen how creative this side can be in terms of goals created, but the finishing, it it just wasn't there. I mean, they, they certainly tried towards the end of the game. We had our fair fair share I mean I think we hit the woodwork we were just a little bit unlucky at times like you said sloppy mistakes leading to the goals obviously Hempo we were able to draw level a little bit later on in that first half which gave us a little bit of glimmering hope and I think we did see a bit of an improvement in the in the team and the performance but once Liverpool got that second goal you know, like you said, Liverpool were resolute and they did everything they could to stifle the game. And and Dave, is that sort of how it felt to you? It, yeah, that's pretty pretty much a good summing up of it. I mean, I am a fan of Matt Baird as a manager, um, and they certainly have done their own work and and the press and their work and the way they stuck at each individual job, I thought was very impressive. And Liverpool have improved uh, this season. There's no two ways about that, and they play well and they deserve the win. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the, the, the stats there. I mean, we did have some a lot of possession, but it wasn't really in any areas that hurt them. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, you can have all the possession in the world, but if you don't use it well and create chances, you know, and then when we got up up front, we seemed a little bit panicky and we're snatching, especially late on when we were really pushing to try and get an equaliser. Um, we could argue, my personal viewpoint is that since we've lost Kira, the best in the world in their position, this season we've seen... Um, a growing reliance on on, on um, Alexandre to bring the ball out from the back. She's been excellent at it. We've used her a lot. The fact that she's now been out for the last few games, I think we've really missed her. We've missed her influence on the team. We've missed the way that she gets the whole... She brings the ball out herself, but she also brings the whole defence up a bit with her when she comes out. And I think that was severely lacking on Sunday. So there's a, there's a specific reason we could point out. But as Paul said before, you know, the whole team were um, just not clicking. Now, this happened, obviously, this happens in football. You know, we, we get bad performances. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for us, it, it's come at a really important time. Um, so, you know, it's not the end of the world, but um, it was very, very disappointing on the day. And, uh, you know, going forward, we need to eradicate these sort of performances. At the start of the season, it was similar. Maybe it was a bit more of an excuse that the team was a lot newer then. And didn't know each other and um you know it just came out of the blue on Sunday I was expecting us to go there and really put a, a shift in and a performance and you know it was just disappointing that we didn't so but that's in my opinion maybe the Alexandria thing is one of the reasons but uh, it's not it's not the full reason and uh, you know we move forward and as Paul says I think hopefully we will see an improvement for the derby yeah 
I mean, these last two games now, Paul, obviously we're, we're looking to get, you know, the four points on offer, the six points as, you know, United and, and Everton on the final game of the season. How do you look at the season now? If you were to reflect on, obviously, this loss and the impact that it has in, in terms of the position and the table, well, let's not hit the panic button. I think is 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 the message. You know, we've had we've had you know since the start of the season when we had we lost two games, one to Villa where we were just utterly disjointed because it was basically eleven strangers trying to play football, and then unluckily we then played Chelsea in the second game of the season, which is the last team you want to be playing when you try to jet settle a team down. So for me, um, you know. I was hoping for top three. I think this is it's going to be touch and go now, uh, whether it's us or Arsenal. But I think given where we were at the start of the season, given that we lost three, and we keep saying it, we lost three world-class players in the close season and we brought in a lot of new players, I think there's a lot to be positive about this season. You know, we would expect to be top, top, top three, top four. You know, let's be honest, the standing in the league has shot up over the last couple of seasons. It used to be top three. Now, you know, top three with us, Arsenal, Chelsea. It, it, take any one of those three, they'll be they'll be winning the titles and winning the Cups. United are now um, added to that. So it's now a top four. So the fact that we're in the top four is where we should be. We've now got to be aware that Villa are, are really a force to be reckoned with now and will get better. They'll recruit in the summer. You know, we went to Liverpool, which we would normally expect to win relatively easily. They did a number on us, you know. It's really like becoming like the Premier League now, the WSL, in the sense that any team can beat any team on the day. So I think we've made significant progress. I like the way we play football now. But as Dave says, we've got to start thinking about how do we eradicate these sort of one-off poor performances. We've got to be consistent now because you lose one or two games in this league now, like the top of the Premier League, and you're out of the title race. And that we can't afford it any any longer. So we've got a new director of football. He's promising us, you know, to look at what's out there. He wants a new goals, another goal scorer to go with Bunny because if Bunny gets injured, we're we're, we're in trouble because yeah. you know. Well, we said this at the start of the season. Yeah, exactly. And it's but, always really surprising why, in essence, we we obviously lost uh, Jess Park, you know, out on loan. Yeah. Well, now she's coming back. You've got Mary, don't forget we've got Mary Fowler, one of the best young players in the world. You know, coming through, she'll she'll be pushing for a first team regular spot. Jess is hopefully coming back. We've then got four world class players up front. You know, um, with Mary Fowler, who I think is potentially world class. Yeah. So there's a lot to be positive about. Um, but I think if we don't get in the Champions League, it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, it, it gives us an opportunity to focus on the league. Get ourselves, you know, get the new players settled in, and you know, hopefully, go for a real title push. Because you know, we we were in the title race until until Sunday, and if you'd we'd, if you'd said that before Christmas, we'd have took that all day long. I mean, Dave, like we are a club that should be playing for me Champions League football. Are you in a position now where you know you you're looking at that and you're thinking, well, actually, yeah, at this point, I would take that actually a, a season out of that that competition and given the opportunity to to allow us to fo- focus on working on that consistency. Well, yeah, obviously you want to finish top three and get Champions League, but um, if not better and win the league. But if you look back over the last few years, each of the major teams, Chelsea, Arsenal, ourselves, have had these tra- what I call transitional seasons 
Then there was a season Chelsea were well off the pace with the year that Arsenal won the league. And it was those in Arsenal that were top two. And Arsenal have done that themselves. And as Paul said there as well, now you've got United in the mix. Unfortunately, it doesn't guarantee the top three having it all their own way anymore, which is a good thing for football. It's a good thing for the league. You've got Villa improving. Liverpool played so well against us the week before. Leicester beat them 4-0. So the, the league is getting competitive, as Paul says. And, and for the good of the game, that is good. You, you want a competitive league. The Premier League, the men's Premier League, is the best in the world for, the, for that sort of thing. Um, and the WSL, hopefully, in time, will go the same way, where the bottom team could, on the day, beat the top team. That is what you want. Um, from our point of view, it's yeah, as Paul said, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world if we don't. There are, you know, there are some positives because of the the hectic start we had last season, uh, this season now that we're in at the start, straight after the Euros, no pre-season, straight into the WSL, uh, and, and playing European qualifiers. What a couple of weeks after the Euros finished. Yeah. That'll happen again next season. At the end of the World Cup, some players will come back and will be involved. Which some clubs will be involved in those European Champions League playoffs almost immediately again. And it's not ideal when you've got a new team with a lot of new players. And I'm sure other teams will will back that up. It's not just a City issue; that it's an issue across the board. I don't like the setup that the Champions League employs yeah. in the women's game. I don't think it's right. Um, I certainly don't think it's right that teams like Real Madrid and City are meeting them, each other in playoffs for a start. Um, Arsenal could find themselves in that situation, for instance, if they finish third. Uh, so, yeah, but you want to be in there. It's the major, it's the, it's the premier competition of women's football in Europe. You want to be in it. Um, maybe there's an argument there could be a, a Europa League style secondary competition like there is in men's in time. I'm sure they might look at that. Um, but, we, we, you know, we, we'll see. That's something for the future. Um, but it's disappointing. It is. But as Paul said, it's not the end of the world. It's not the time to press panic. A lot, well, I'm sure we're going to go into the um, Niels Nielsen coming in and some of the things he said. Um, I've been really impressed with it in his interviews in the last week or so and what I've read. So, um, yeah. So, you know, if we build on what we've got, I think we can move forward from this season. It was always going to be transitional and that's the way it's panned out. So at this point then, obviously, you spoke about Niels Nelson. We'll talk about him in a little bit. A week off this weekend for City, as obviously United face Chelsea in the FA Cup final on Sunday. Now, potentially big fixture, big game, big occasion for United, really. Their first FA Cup final in the front of a sold-out Wembley. Uh, it's going to go one of either two ways, but it, in essence, it allows us good time out on the training pitch to prepare for this game. And Paul, looking ahead now to, to next week and that game at the LSV, how are you feeling? How are you sort of seeing that game as, you know, for, for City? Is it, I mean, I know we're saying it's it, it's a must win, but essentially it's going to be a really tough test as well to go uh, to the LSV in front of a sold-out crowd as well and, and get some, hopefully, points out of that game. Well, yeah, I mean, if you think, in, just talking, to come back to the transition point, I think United had a transition season last season, they fell away towards the end of last season. They were, you know, they, they were top three and then they fell away. They've learned the lesson from that. And now they're a really solid, you know, very good side. But we're a very good side. You know, at the, the, the home derby, there was nothing in it. Um, I think we're a better team than we were when we played at the home derby. I think we're a more settled team. I think they're a more settled team. I think it's going to be a fantastic game of football. I think it's two sides and two managers that go at it. You know, I don't think they're going to set off it. I think it's going to be a full-on, 
proper all singing, all dancing, in your face derby. And I think we've got every chance of winning it. And I think they, their fans would say the same. I don't think there's a lot in it. I think the two two really good sides, full of really good players. It's going to be a rocking atmosphere in there. Um, you know, it's always a bit of a bear pit over there. You know, it might be in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know, it might be the most difficult ground to get to for a lot of people, but it's going to be a great atmosphere. So I'm not going to call it, but I think there's not going to be much in it again. Um I think we've got, as you say, we've got two weeks on the training pitch. We'll learn the lessons from the Liverpool game. Um, those players are still quality players. We're never going to play that badly again, I think, you know, for the rest of the season. So I think it's going to be a fantastic game. And I, 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 I'm confident we can get at least a draw there and we could probably edge the win. It will depend, of course, what happens in the FA Cup final. If they win it, They'll be, you know, they'll they'll have that adrenaline and that that momentum. If they lose, and I think Chelsea will win that game, by the way, um, quite comfortably. Um, I think that that might take a bit of wind out of their sails. So a lot will depend, I think, on on the FA Cup final, in terms of how they approach that game and their motivation for that game. Let's talk about Mark Skinner, Dave, because obviously since coming back to the WSL since his time in America with Orlando. Um, I think it was July 21, was it? So, you know, he's had a few seasons with United and they've obviously making really good progression. I mean, he's been named as manager of the month as well um, this month for April. Uh, and he's made a clear um, clear focus on that title challenge. Um, so, you know, it, it is going to be really difficult and they're going to be up for the challenge as well. And they'll be looking for their first win uh, as well against City in the WSL. Paul's right. I mean, they were in the mix last season until late on and, and fell away. And they have learned from that. They recruited well. Uh, I think Letizia is a good good buy from the picker up from Brighton, was it? Yeah. Uh, obviously, I don't watch them every week, so I only see what I, you know, what I see on TV and stuff. So, but they seem to have. Uh, he, he's built a, a strong squad. That, you know, the top of the league as we speak today at the moment. I know Chelsea have games down the next after and what have you, but at the moment, the top of the league, and it's May, so they've had a great season. But I am a strong believer that um, derbies are a different animal. Derbies are, you know, derbies. You can take current form out the window. Uh, derbies are a very strange thing, you know. Strange things happen on the day, and you know we go into it probably first time ever we go into it as an underdog in a way because you know we're below them in the league. It's at their ground, they're playing well. I think Paul's right. I think the FA Cup final has a has an effect on it because obviously it could affect their mood on the day whether they've won or lost the week before at Wembley. It's a big thing, you know. We we've done both. We've been to Wembley one and we've been to Wembley and lost, and we know you know the feelings on both sides. Um. But I do think uh, Derby's are strange, and uh, we certainly played well enough in the second half of the Derby at the Etihad to, to show we can get at this United side. They can be got at. Chelsea have beat them twice. Um, so, you know, they're not unbeatable, and then we can go there and get a result, but we will have to improve on the recent performance at Liverpool, without a doubt. But I'm sure we will, because, you know, there'll be a reaction to that. Gareth will get into the players... Having this week off could end up being a very, very good thing for us because it gives us two weeks to have a proper run at, at the game. And irrelevant of where we are in the league, the points that we need must win in terms of, of any chance of top three. You want to win the derby. You don't care if, you, if you're if 16th in a, in a league and you play your derby, you want to win it. You want the bragging rights. You want to beat your local rivals. And they'll be exactly the same. 
So I'm looking forward to it. But in terms of Mark Skinner, yeah, he's done a good job without a doubt to, to keep them, you know, keep the expectation of going all season. And to come into May with with a shot at the double, you've got to say, you know, that's a good season for them, without a doubt. Um, and United have shown as well that they know how to sort of dig deep in games and find a way to win. Um, and I think that's something, you know, we've struggled with really this season. But again, in terms of the progression and the way United play, um, they are a very tough side to beat. You know, results have showed that this season in terms of Mark Skinner and his managerial record, you know, it's been one of his best under any club that he's been at. Um, for United, though, in terms of players on the pitch, Paul, who and who do you look at as as term, in terms of the players to watch? Well, I th- I think it's it's their fun fun players, Russell in particular. I think um, and Ella Toon, I think, has been on fire this season. Just on <coughs> Skinner thing, I think he's a fantastic coach. He's done a great job there. I never rated Casey Stone. I thought I thought she was, I didn't think she was a great coach. That team seemed to play. With fear, they didn't. They didn't seem a very comfortable side. I think what he's done is he's he's made that team like our team, a team, a proper team. They look like a team. They look like a team that are happy together. A, t- a team like our team that look like they get on. They're not scared of the manager. They work with the manager. I think he's done a great job there, and that's why they're resilient because they work for each other. You know, and I think as as Dave says, Letitia has been a fantastic signing for them. I think she's she's come on. I I wasn't quite sure whether she was quite ready for that level, but she's definitely slotted into that team. Um, and Battle, I think, is a real handful. I think she's a massive handful. Um, in in any game, um, so I I I think there's a there's a lot of players in that team that could cause us damage. The caveat, the the thing is. We've got a lot of players in our team that can cause damage as well. Our front three is going to give their defence, and I think an overrated keeper, uh, a lot to think about. So they'll need to be on it. We'll need to be on it. If we're all on it, then that's going to be the possibly the game of the season. Because as Dave says, the derby is a weird thing. You know, Even when we were rubbish in the men's game, we, could still, we still wanted to win that derby, and we still pulled off playing a, some great United, still won some derbies. This is going to be a banging game for me. Um, and I think I think their players are they're playing well, they're playing with confidence, but we're playing well and you know with the odd blip. Um and we should go into that game thinking actually we can match them up, mm. you know, player for player. We need to stop being so nice. Let's move on. <laughs> no, no, do, do, do one of, just 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 on the nice thing. You know, there was a lot of really dodgy refereeing decisions at the, the weekend. Um, and, and maybe we should t- touch at some point on the need for professional panel of referees. But our players were trying to get all of the referees and say, look, if you don't know the drop ball rule, we're going to have to tell you what the drop ball rule is. It's, it's an absolute disgrace that a referee at that level doesn't understand what how a drop ball works. I, I've seen better refereeing in my men's walking football league than, than I saw at the weekend. It was shocking. Um, well, it was it was bad. I mean there was a number of there was a number of just baffling decisions, wasn't there? I don't mean to us, I'm talking about the players. The players were baffled. Well I, I think I think to a degree, I think although Liverpool were trying it on and 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 you know there there was some there was some things that in, in it that I was uncomfortable with. I think they were a bit confused about it at times as well. And mm. and bad refereeing Pollutes the game because the players don't know whether they, you know, whether they're going to get away with the odd tackle. You know, there was all sorts of weird decisions going on. 
that's not to say that we lost the game because of bad referee and we didn't, but it doesn't help either team mm. work, you know, get consistent in the game. So I think it's really key at the weekend uh, for the in the derby in, in, uh, is that we have a good referee. That's going to be critical because if we don't, it could get out of hand quite easily. We've discussed sort of refereeing at length, you know, throughout the season and seasons before. It it just needs to move on. There just needs to be more investment. I mean, just on basic things. I mean, there was even a, a moment in the game where you could question whether the ball went over the line. You know, even basic yeah. things like goal line technology. Um, you know, at what point are we going to see those introduced to the game? Because they will help and assist the referees as well. Well, there was an incident in the Leeds game at the weekend where uh, it looked like it had gone over the line and the referee waved it off straight away because his watch didn't bleep. He yeah. had goal, goal line technology. Now, I understand that having VAR in WSL at the moment is problematic. Yeah. But for God's sake, goal, te- goal line technology is Bog standard. We the very minimum we should have is goal line technology and it just bleeps on the referee's watch. That's easy to do. And the fact that we haven't got it. Do you know what annoys me more than anything? Is that the women's game is used as a guinea pig to trial all like with with um you know the World Cup. Bar was introduced for the first time, the women's game was used as a guinea pig, but when it actually comes down to it they can't invest or carry that investment to the women's game. It just mm. doesn't make sense. It do, it baffles me that we're, we're basically used and then just sort of left, to, you know, you know, we want to grow the game. We want it to look professional. We want it to look like elite level. Uh, and and then all, all this is still happening, you know, from week to week, just poor decisions, not all the time, but too often enough. No, but it is, it is far, it's far too often. I mean, like you say, it's, it's not all the time, but it is most weeks. I mean, the the one at Arsenal when we were about to, Buddy Shaw was about to knock the ball into an empty net for an equaliser. And then mm. she, she stops the game mm. for, a head, for a supposed head injury that wasn't and gives the drop ball to Arsenal. Mm. You know, just baffling decisions. Um, but it's standard stuff. Paul said the goal line technology is, is a must because it's the one aspect of the technology argument that pretty much everybody agrees with can't be faulted because it's either over the line or it's not and it tells you mm. you know so it's it's a hundred percent and uh why we've not got it i don't know because they you know i presume the cameras are put like along the line lasers on the on the in the goalposts and things and they could all have it couldn't they well it's exactly it's dave and at the weekend that we had an example of that where yeah. we got an equalizer later on i don't think it was over the line to be honest you know, I've, I've seen I've seen some replays of it. It, it, but the technology would have told us immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would have leaked on the referee's watch, and she would have gone, "It's a goal or not." It's not fair on the lines person, you know. And the thing is, you're right, Emmett, because what annoys me about things like goal te- line technology in WSL is in the Premier League. If we didn't have goal line technology, people would go ballistic and say these are the world's best players. They should expect, given the margins in the in the game and the space and speed of the game, that that technology should be there. In the WSL, we've got the world's best players as well, or some of the world's best players, and yet they're relying on on a lines person or a referee to make a split second decision. It's not fair. It's unequal. If we want equality in the game, 
then we should have equal access to basic technology. That is simple. We're not guinea pigs. We are in a league with some of the world's best players in a high, where the standard is very high now. We should have basic technology. And if you don't want to do that, then you, you're actually being a hypocrite and saying you wanted to grow the game. Because people walk away from the game and say, well, I'm not putting up with that. That's just that's a nonsense. Um, let's move on then. Uh, news coming out of the club this week. Nils Nelson has been appointed as Manchester City Women's Director of Football, um, subject to a work permit approval. Um, what a fantastic addition to bring into this city uh, environment. Uh, someone that's going to really bolster and build... Uh, on the strategies that we've got in place. Um, and as Dave, you've already said, he's spoken so well in all the media that we've seen this week, mm-hmm. you know, coming from the club, uh, FAWSL Full Time magazine wrote a fantastic article as well. Uh, and there's been a lot of positives to come from this appointment. Um, how are you feeling about it, Dave? Yeah, well, as you say, when the news broke, the first thing I did was sit and watch the video that the club put out with uh, George from the club interviewing him. Uh, and I really like what he said. It was obvious that he, he's known this post was coming for a while and had been watching the team um, from what he said. I loved um, his philosophy on how he's going to, they're going to overhaul the whole pathway system because I think the academy at City does need looking at. Uh, so it's not just the first team building through because if you can start producing your own players, you know, the the men's academy at City is outstanding. They've, they've just clinched three, four trophies again this season. And that pathway to the first team is there. And if you can build anything like that towards the women's team, besides anything else, it, sell, it saves you millions of pounds on, on transfers and everything, and it, it pays for itself. So the whole pathway that he's going to oversee, I liked the way he was talking about that. In terms of the first team at the moment, I love the, uh, the, the way that the, when he was asked about transfers, he said his first priority was to, he wanted to keep the world-class players we've got at the club now. That was his, that was his initial thing. And then add, now he, he mentioned he felt that the team needed some experience maybe adding to it and things like that. He needed a new striker, as you mentioned earlier. He, he's obviously looked, been looking, known, known this position's coming up and he's been looking at the team. He's obviously a very knowledgeable football man, first and foremost. And he's obviously a very experienced football man and I like that. Um, and it... it basically mirrors the way that the men's side of the club is being run. And that's what they're doing. They're trying to implement the same system on the women's side, I think, because the men's side of it has been extremely successful right away through to the first team. And I think they're trying to mirror the same system with Nils at the, at the, at the head. Gareth, they call, we call him a manager in this country, but technically he's the head coach. You know, on a match day and then training and stuff, and then it's the same way Pep is technically. It's run like the Barcelona uh, model and things like that. And I like the sound of it, and I've been really, really impressed. And I would encourage anyone who's not yet sat and watched a couple of interviews with Nils that the, the club have put out. If you want to see what he's all about, just sit, just take ten minutes to sit and watch those interviews because he's it, they're, they're very enlightening. He seems uh, really transparent as well, um, and. And as you say, you know, he, he's got a wealth of experience behind him, head coach of, of Denmark, Switzerland, uh, women's side. I think he's had some unders experience as well. Um, and obviously he's made that transition as a sort of a, a direct uh, director's kind of role. Um, 
and you know it is it is a bit different but he has he, he spoke about wanting to make a difference it is a different role you know his focus isn't that coaching you know he, he can see ways of implementing uh positive strategies and having consultations and and make it speaking about making a difference you know he wants to develop that consistency with some of the young players and um just building on from that and it's all very very positive I mean it's it it has been very very impressive um and he he seems like like I said just like a really honest transparent guy and it, it is uh really good as well to hear that he's going to be working with like Cameron Barsley and work and she'll have a sort of consultation role working alongside him as well once she's uh, completed her sort of development plan, uh, development program that she's going through with the club, Paul. I mean, um, there's obviously a lot to look forward to in terms of the future and what we're what we're building at City. Uh, uh, this is a fantastic uh, and very clever appointment for for two reasons. I think the first thing, as Dear says, it's about getting the pathway. If you think about this season, we've had two or three players that have played in the in the Carabao Cup, junior players, younger players. What's their pathway into the first team? You know, what, what, where, 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 where are they now? They get a, a couple of a lot of run in the Carabao Cup, and then suddenly they disappear. We don't see them again. What is their pathway to to the first team and to stay in the first team? How does that mirror mirror Phil Forden and Cole Palmer's path into the first team in the men's game? We don't see that pathway at the moment. So I think he's going to make that pathway much clearer and much stronger. We do need to revamp the academy. We should be getting the best players uh, to come to our academy. The, in the men's academy, the, we've got some of the best young players in the world in, the, in, in, in that academy. We need the same in the women's. So that, as Dave says, we're transitioning, we're saving money, and we're building homegrown talent. The thing that struck me in, in the interview, and I would echo Dave's uh, encouragement to, to watch it, is he talked about what sort of players they want. They don't just want gifted players. What sort of player are they? What sort of person are they? And you see that in 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 the men's how the men's team set up. They don't just attract quality players. They're interested in what sort of personality they are. What's their background? What's their family life like? What they bring in as an individual? Because you, you can get eleven gifted individuals on the pitch, but if they all hate each other, and they're all idiots, then they won't play very well. So he's he's really looking at getting technically gifted players, but players that are team players. The likes that you want a, another Jill Scott, don't you? You want another Steph Horton that are really good players, but are great individuals at the same time. So that thing, I think that's what he's bringing to the club. He's you know he's done it at the highest level. You know he's took a he's took Denmark to the European final. He took them against all the odds to the final and, and you know, they could have won that, you know, 50-50. He's got all the credentials. And what it does, it allows Gower to do what he's best at, is coaching. He doesn't have to think about signing players. He'll have that conversation with Nils and others. But ultimately, he'll be able to just coach that team and work with the players that are coming in and out. So I think it's a fantastic appointment and I can't wait to see what happens in the close season and then as the seasons progress. But as Dave rightly says, this is about getting the pathway much clearer. You know, what? how do we bring those players that are from the academy into the first team? Because at the moment, it doesn't seem to me to be that clear. 
yeah. yeah. I think as well, they've spoke about, you know, Jane's involvement as well, Jane Ludlow, and obviously Gavin's make us got a huge part in this as well. And and we have spoke earlier in the season about Gavin in terms of those players and and, and obviously they have got some players that they have earmarked for, for maybe the summer, um, which is really exciting. Um it seems that there is a core group of players that they want to build this squad around. And he spoke about the youth within the squad, building on that consistency. It's inevitable that at some point we will lose players, but they've spoke about replacing those players with experienced players because the the experience also plays a really pivotal role, Dave. Oh, without a doubt, you want the balance, don't you? You want the balance of an experienced experienced. Um professionals in your squad as well as some exciting young talent and if you can get the mix right you know you, you're on a winner um we have we don't undoubtedly we've got world-class players at, at our club at the moment and we want them to stay without a doubt without naming names we all know who they are but we've also got you know you also got to mix that with experienced campaigners and and types of player you can't just put 11 superstars in a team and expect them to just gel and win everything that's not how football works especially in this modern age mm. you know you need to mix and match and certain types of players and everything like as Paul says if you look at the men's team that's how that works and this is how it's going to go and I am really excited to see this team now develop this squad develop the pathway system is a big issue in women's football because there isn't there isn't the the, the age levels like in the men's you've got your school kids stuff and then you've got under 16s under 18s under 21s right the way through the EDSs and 21s that doesn't exist in the women's um there's just what they call the, the academy squad and it's young girl, you know, 16, then they need that step between that being 16, 17 and the first team. It's a big gap. It needs bridging, in my opinion. Um, we don't have a reserve league, for instance. Stuff. Now, I know there's a lot of things where they loan players out. Um, United have loaned a lot of players out. City have loaned some out and they go and play in the championship and a bit lower. Um, they have dual contracts and things like that. These are the sort of aspects of the game that I think someone like Nils will be all too well aware of and will look at and he'll make decisions on some of our young players you know would a year say in the championship playing for someone like Blackburn or somebody would that be the best path for that player then they come back with that year's experience of playing first team football ready to come into our squad or at least into the thinking of our squad things like that and he's the sort of man who can make these decisions for me That that's a good appointment as I said before, I feel that he's a real football man. And, um, you know, there's a lot of work to do, but I'm excited to see it begin. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time for it to build and to see the, the fruits of it, because we're talking about young players developing over a number of years here as well as, as the first team. So um, it's all good. It's, it's all good. And I'm really, really excited to see what happens. Yeah, He's obviously a very passionate guy. That's shown through his talk about the development in terms of the women's game, and he's an obviously very driven guy. He's a very cool guy as well. I love his hair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, I I mean, we spoke about, you know, Manchester City wanting to be, you know, pioneering, um, and the setup, the environment is, you know, perfect for him to do that, saying that he doesn't get much better than here. You have everything you need to be the best you can be, and I know that there are exciting plans to come. Um, will continue to grow as a club and it makes me very excited for what lies ahead in the future. Just hearing that, Paul, in terms of the future and what lies ahead, 
it's it is just really exciting. Yeah, and I think I think it's in tune with, with the philosophy of the club in general. You know, Dave's right. You know, we need to think more about loans. I mean, if you look at the players out on loan this season, Jess Parts had a great season at Evan, got an England team. Ruby Mace has had a fantastic um, period out. Kyla Keating, you know, had a great time at Coventry, has come back a much better keeper for it. The, the standard of playing the championships much higher now. You know, that's improving year on year. So when we're sending players out on loan from the academy, we should be sending them with the expectation that they, they're not playing in duff leagues. They're playing a good standard of football and they, they'll improve their game. So I'm very, I'm very encouraged by uh, what he's saying. But the proof's going to be in the pudding. Are you going to invest in a proper academy setup where you've got apprenticeships or what, however you bring those young women into the game as full-time uh, young players like in the EDS? Is that what that is that the model we need? Do we need a, an EDS league like the men's so that each club can actually afford or invest in their young players to play in a reserve side? Because that gap between where the academy is now and where the first team is 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 huge. It's a huge gap to try and close for a young player. So there's a lot we need to think about in how we develop our young talent. Um, but I think he's a man on a mission to do that. Um, it will always all just be in City's hands because I think there's some structural games in the WSL and in the women's game in general about how we develop young players. But um, if we can be the pioneers, as, as you say, and it's, as he's promising to do, if we can pioneer that and get some new thinking, then we shouldn't just be importing players from abroad all the time. We should be homegrown talent as well. Um and I think that we just need to close that gap. Um, thinking about next season, and you think about those players that are coming back, Mace, who I think is an outstanding centre-half, um, is going to be a massive, if she comes back next season, which I'm assuming she will, she's going to be great for us, and Jess Park. So we've got two essentially new players coming back, and he's, going to, and he's already promising to invest in other players. Um, and they'll be the right sort of players. So they'll they'll fit into the city philosophy, not just as a football philosophy, but what sort of club we want to be, what sort of team do we want to be. You know, I've seen, and I've said it before on this podcast, I think this team is a much happier environment this season for, I think, a number of reasons. But I think that's what he wants. And he said it in his interview, he wants a happy environment. He wants players to feel happy and valued. And I think that's what we're, we're going to get. And I think that can only make us stronger. And if we get it right, then we're going to be writing for a title challenge next season because we, we we nearly did it this season. I think we're a good close season. I think we're going to be right in the mix for the title. I hope so. I don't think we're that far off it, Dave, do you? Well, Niels himself yesterday in the interview said exactly that, Emma. He doesn't feel City are far off the finished article at the moment for challenging. We're not saying we're going to sweep the ball and win everything, but for challenging, which is what the fans, you know, the minimum that everyone expects, really, isn't it, for Manchester City to be up there challenging for, for trophies? And he said he didn't feel far off that. So I think it's definitely possible for next season. A little tweak here and there. And as Paul says, some players coming back, some new players. Inevitably, we'll lose some players as well. Some contracts are up in the summer. Some players might feel it's time for them, better for them personally to move on. That happens. It's football. Um, unfortunately, last season we lost a lot. Not only did we lose a lot of talent, we also lost a lot of experience, you know. Ellen White retired, Jill Scott retired, massive experienced players who've been there and done it. Um, then on top of that, you're losing the talent as footballers as well. So it was a big loss. And it was, we had a lot of that to cope with last summer. 
And hopefully we can stagger contracts in the future over the future years that we don't lose that much talent in one go again, because it, it was a mountain to, to overcome. They've overcome it very well with a you know staggering start and it's certainly improved. And, and, and you know, that's why I say, I think we always knew it was going to be transitional. So, yeah, I, I agree with everything you both said. I think it's it's great for the club. It sounds a great appointment and, and it's exciting times ahead, surely. Yeah, uh, more incitement coming from the club this week. Two of our players, uh, personal accolades in the fact that Chloe Kelly has been awarded Player of the Month in the WSL for April and Bunny Shaw has been uh, received Player of the Year for the CONACAF uh, for this season as well. Uh, let's talk about Bunny first, Paul. Um, she's absolutely prolific uh, and just uh, just reward uh, in terms of her contributions this season and recognition for the player that she is. Well, yes, on two levels. Um, she's been recognised both domestically and internationally. She's been on fire for Jamaica this season, like she has been for us. You know, she's led that team, you know, uh, from, you know, a, a team that probably no one really fancied to do anything. She, she's she's transformed that team um, and led it from the front. And she's a real role model for young Jamaican women who want to play football. And I think that's, she's been very clear about that. It's no, it's no accident that Usain Bolt, you know, has, has, has recognised, you know, her profile and her ability. Um, you know, now she's working with Sean Gorter as well. She's only going to get better. Uh, I, 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 I'm delighted for Bunny because I think she's really improved this season as a player. You know, she's not just a prolific goal scorer. She terrorises defences now. Her positional sense, her runs, everything she does is of, of a higher quality. Now she's settled in that team. She just looks like a player that's responding to some really good coaching. I think both domestically with Gareth and at international level as well. You know, we shouldn't take away from the fact that she's been coached, you know, in a national side. So that that reward, I think, is totally justified. She's been had a fantastic season. You know, the only reason she won't win the, potentially win the Golden Boot is because Rachel Daly, who's yet another world class player, might just nick it off her. Um, but to to you know to to score that many goals, you know this reward, all credit to her. Um, and not only is she a great player, she seems like a really nice and solid person as well, a model professional. So, you know, I, I'm delighted for her. I couldn't you know I couldn't be happier. She gave a a, a a fantastic interview. You know, she just seems so humble. And you know, some of the 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 messages that came across from that, I think one of the quotes that I've got written down, the message I have to anybody who has a dream like I did is to keep believing and enjoy the process and the journey. And she said, uh, they asked her where she was going to put her, put the award and she said, uh, it's going to go somewhere special so that whenever I wake up, I can look at it straight away. I mean, it's amazing. She's just so, she's such a joy and she's such a wonderful person. And, you know, she has been an absolute asset uh, to the club since coming in. I know it took her a while to, to bed in a little bit and make that adjustment in terms of culture and environment. But she really, I, it seems that she really does like to call Manchester home now. Yeah, well, that's it. I think the first season, obviously, she was um, sharing that striking role with Ellen White and they were in and out of the team together for certain games, you know. And as you say, it took her a year to settle in and, and get used to the English game as well, which happens. This season, she was the out-and-out out number one striker, and she's done her job. She's put the ball on the net, which is all you can ask for. She's a great person. I've been lucky enough to meet her after games. I've seen um, the OSC have presented her a number of balls for her hat-tricks and things like that, and she's, you know, I say, very humble and a fantastic role model. 
I would, you know, for kids to follow because she's she's a great example of of, of someone who's followed the dream and achieved it. And you know, she's a real uh, icon. She's an icon of the modern game now and uh, sco- scoring goals for fun, as we say. Yeah, definitely. And Chloe Kelly as well, uh, Paul. Um, she's received a WSL Player of the Month for April, and you know, she's had a great month. You know, three assists, three goals. Um, and she's been again, you know, contributing so much in terms of her pass- attacking presence in the game. You know those those crosses. I mean, <laughs> the delivery and some of the 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 balls that she's delivered this season uh, have just been pin perfect in terms. Of, I mean, the one she did in the Liverpool game was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, always looking with quality players to particularly young quality players for progression she's progressed so much again this season you know her, her positional player is so much better much you know she's much smarter player as you say crosses pinpoint you know that i mean you know she she dropped that onto lauren's head you know i mean you know lauren's great anticipation those two play really well together the fact they both switch from side to side you know she she's become a real, you know, she's one of those players that terrorizes defenses. And she's going at a defender, and you can see defenders thinking, Oh, I'm really struggling here. You know, I'm really struggling to, to, to get near her. Um, again, a fully deserved, well deserved reward. You know, she had a you know, an ACL, she's come back from an ACL that could, you know, that could have defeated her, but she's come back mentally stronger. Uh, she had a, obviously been fantastic for England as well. So, again, Another award that no one can could could possibly query or, or or argue against. She has been an outstanding player this this month, but I would argue she's been outstanding all season. You know, she's she's created problems for defenses all season long, and we've seen a, again a progression in her game. Um, again, I think that's partly due to good coaching at both national and domestic level, but also I think she's the sort of player that listens. The sort of player that thinks I want to be better, like Bunny. I want to be a better player, and I'm going to work hard at it. Uh, and I think we've seen that the fruits of that. She's just been, she's just been brilliant this this season. But I think last month, she was head and shoulders above any other player in the league. Yeah. And and let's be honest, there's been some really good performances, you know, right across the league. So to get that award, I think shows just the the level she's playing at just at the moment. Yeah, and she's so reflective as well in in terms of her own personal game, uh, Dave. You know, she spoke about, you know, City being the perfect place for her to continue her development. You know, she's she's still learning. She's looking to grow uh, and to keep on improving as well. Yeah, she's got a great level head, hasn't she, Chloe? I mean, obviously the goal in last year's Euro final lifted her to a different level of fame, a different level of the spotlight on her. Everybody suddenly knew who Chloe Kelly was if they didn't know before, you know. Um, so she's had that to deal with as well. And Kurt, she's become a lot uh, more in the public eye uh, this season. And uh, as Paul says, the, the performances have been there all season. What she has done more recently is added more and more goals to her performances as well, which, you know, for a wide player to chip in with the goals is great. Um, her performances have been at a level that she thoroughly deserves. This is a culmination of those performances. She performed well for England uh, in the... Arnold Clark Cup recently as well, scored goals there. Uh, yeah, so I'm really pleased for her. Thoroughly deserved. You've only got to look at the short list of players that were in that month's Player of the Year to see that the talent that she she beat to the award, and it's a, it's a great credit to her. She should be very proud of it. That's 
pretty much it for this week, actually. Uh, obviously, looking ahead to, to Sunday and the Sports Village, it's sold-out game. If anybody does have two spare tickets that are in the seating bit with the OSC, let me know because I've got standing tickets and I think it's going to be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just let me know. Uh, there, I was, might be, there might be a few tickets knocking about that we'll let people know because obviously there's this class issue again with the men's game. The men are at home, to, if anyone doesn't know, the men are at home to Chelsea that day and it only finishes half an hour or so before the women kick off, so you can't really do both. It's possibility, I think, the men. It's certainly a very important game for the men. So people, yet again, having to choose which game to go to. I know we've covered this a number of times, but it's a real, real bugbear for me. Yeah, you've got to choose, got you know. moved, didn't it? The time got changed because of it being a TV pick. Yeah, yeah, it got moved to the uh, quarter. It's the quarter seven kickoff. The men kick off at four o'clock, so obviously there's not time to get to both. As Paul alluded to earlier, LSV is not an easy place to get in and out of anyway. I'm sure there's United fans who don't like the fact it's being played on Sunday night as well. You know, it's. I know this isn't just a city issue, this class thing, by the way, because I've spoke to Arsenal fans about this. Chelsea fans have suffered the same. This is right across the women's board. I just feel that these clashes need to be eradicated wherever they can. I know we've spoke about this before. I know people are sick of hearing me saying it, but it's something it's still happening. And now it's happening with the with the, one of the biggest fixtures in the WSL calendar, the, the Manchester Derby. And you know, you want it to you want to be as many fans there as possible of both teams. You want the atmosphere, you want everything. So um, you know, it's disappointing, but that could mean there's some tickets floating around of people who now can't go who bought tickets who wanted to go. So we'll certainly let anyone know if there's any. Any spares hanging around that we hear of? I, do, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Dave. I'm, I'm sick and tired of hearing senior officials in the game say, we want to go to the women's game, we want to go to the women's game, and then not understanding that a lot of people watch both men's and women's football. And a lot of the fans, the hardcore fans, have got season tickets for both. And they're faced with the impossible dilemma Unless they've got access to a helicopter, they're not going to be able to get from the Etihad to Lee Sports Village. It's absolutely ridiculous that somebody can't schedule these games in a way that they're not, they shouldn't even be on the same day, let alone in the same time frame. It, if you want to go this game, the women's game, you've got to make it easy. We keep saying it, you've got to make it easy for people to get to it. And this clash in particular is absolutely outrageous and we need to stop it because if we don't stop it, we won't go the game and the game will actually start to shrink again. And we need to we need to be really careful about this because, as you say, Dave, it's not just us. You know, it's happening all over the place and we need to be holding on to the fans that we've got and attracting more fans the fact that a sold-out derby is being played in the same time frame as a massive game at the Etihad is just not acceptable any longer. And next season, they need to coordinate both fixture lists so that we're not having these stupid clashes. Yeah. I mean, there may be the odd occasion where it's just not possible to do it. I accept that it's not a one, you know, one fix for everything, but it needs to be stopped where it can be. For instance, last year I remember the two the FA Cup semi-finals for the men and the women were on the same day, and you there were, you know you couldn't go to both and things like that. We've had FA Cup finals where the men have been playing at home and the women have been playing at Wembley. Well, you're damaging your own product there, you know. And, and we've been over this many times. It has to stop, in my opinion, if they want to grow and get. So we won't sell out games. We, the FA Cup final sold out at Wembley on Sunday. Great, 
We want that every year. So let's not put massive fences in the way of that happening every year. Let's let's make it easy for fans to go to these games. This is one of the standout fixtures of the season, the Manchester Derby in, in the WSL. It should be celebrated. It should be full of both sets of fans, whether it's at LSV, whether it's at the Academy, whether it's at the Etihad, Old Trafford, wherever they play it, you want the maximum amount of people in that, in that ground to celebrate a fantastic fixture that we all look forward to. And now people can't go. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's infuriating. I, I had a point and it's gone from my head. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I was going to say uh, as well, you know, one thing we've seen this season for the first time, you know, Tottenham Hotspur, they're, they're doing a double header. Um, mm. and, and we haven't seen that for a while. So, so it'd be interesting to see the success of that. I think the men's team are playing first and the women's game will follow. But as you say, you know, moving the game, you know, sometimes obviously it's unforeseen. And, you know, you can't, you have to accept that, you know, it's going to happen. It's part of the game, but we should, well, not we, they should be doing more in terms of, you know, scheduling FA to, to try and eradicate these clashes. My point was, I've remembered, was, was if you're a men's season ticket holder, and you go to the women's games as well, almost more often than not, your men's season ticket is going to trump your women's season ticket for the sheer cost uh, yeah, of what it costs. Spot on, Emma, yeah. Spot on. Yeah, season spot ticket on. orders. You know, so, you know, it, it is a shame. And we need, you know, we there needs to be more done in terms of eradicating these classes, not just for City, but for all oppositions, all clubs, at all yeah. levels, it just shouldn't. What, what's really infuriating about this is that in the women's game, we, we it's a smaller league with less games. We go weeks without games sometimes, then suddenly we've got two games on the same day. You know, it, it can't be beyond the wit of man or woman or anyone to sit down and go, look, it's only, you know, we've only got 10 teams. They've got a much fuller fixture list. Let's not clash the two. And let's move women's games if necessary to another weekend so we're not waiting two weeks for a game which drives me mad anyway we should be playing every weekend or every week but there's plenty of space in the in, in the WSL calendar to move games around the I mean, and that drives me mad initially I believe the last day of the WSL was scheduled to all take place the same day as the last day of the Premier League now luckily someone's seen the sense and moved all the WSL games to the Saturday yeah uh, and the Premier League is now on the street. Because just, just in the media alone, that would get lost. You, yeah. you want your product to be front and centre. Now, maybe by moving it to a Saturday, we might find that, say, Reading fans, Birmingham fans, whose men's team are in the Championship, they still get clashes. So it's, it's certainly not a one-fix problem. You know, there are issues around it, because not all... It can, it men... can be a logistical nightmare, can't yeah, it? Yeah, it can. I accept I, that. I, I, I understand the issues there, you know. I understand that, and I'm sure, you know, most fans do as well. But in terms of it, it, the simple fact is we need to do better. Yeah. Well, it, it's not, you know, it is about, it's a logistical nightmare, but there are people who are employed, like running the railways, who know how to run systems like that and know how to work, you know, manipulate um, you know, fixture lists and all of that. People, you know, do that all the time. And we need to, they need to just be a bit, be given the go ahead to be cannier at just moving things so that we don't, we can avoid these clashes where possible. Yeah, you're right, David. There will be times when it's not possible, but it's happening too often 
for it not to be an issue. You know, we've got such a fantastic product. I want it to be front and center on those big days. I don't want it to be suffering, almost like damaging their own product. If you think, think Dave, on on the last day that if if we had the the last day of the WSL and the last day of the Premiership on the same day, both of those leagues could be decided on that day and probably Mm -hmm. will be actually. The women's game would get nowhere near the coverage. You know, if it's, I don't know. Arsenal United or sorry Chelsea United, you know, go you know, on the last day of the season, either of them could win it. There'd be no publicity for that if it's City winning the title on the last day of the season. We've got to stop that. So, yeah, they've moved the women's now all to the yeah. day before the Saturday, haven't they? So that that's a that's a really clever move. Someone's clocked that and gone, yeah. So now the next stage, clock the fact that you keep making it impossible for um you know, uh, fans of both court men's and women's to go to games, and also stop putting a match at, at Arsenal on a quarter to eight on a Sunday night, which yeah. makes it difficult not just for away fans, but very difficult for away fans, but difficult for um home fans as well. Get the timings right, stop doing these stupid t- kickoff times, at stupid o'clock on a Sunday night. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not you've you, you got to make this as easy as possible. The men's game has had a century plus of building the products. People aren't too bothered about things. You know, they're, they're, they're committed to the team. We want to attract new blood, new people into the game. If you don't make it easy by making the kickoff times family friendly and accessible and avoiding these clashes, then you're not going to go to the game. And as you say, Dave, and, and, and Emma, I'm, I'm sure you agree, we've got a fantastic product but we need to sell it better. We've been saying that for a couple of years now, so hopefully someone at some point will, will start to agree with us. It'd be interesting what Emma, you, what you said about Tottenham, I'd be interested to see what how that works. And the men playing first in the in the main stadium, followed by a women's game a couple of hours later, isn't it, on the same day? Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see what what what's because what, they don't get great crowds at Leighton Orient, uh, Spurs women. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. So but for them, that's an interesting experiment. I want to see how that works out. And they've utilised uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for quite a bit this season as well. So yeah. you know, it, it's a good experiment. I'm going to say experiment. Uh, and it'd be, as you say, interesting to, to see what sort of numbers and attendances, you know, in terms of those fans staying on to watch the game. Do you know the fixtures, Emma? Do you know who they're playing at all? I don't. No. I, I, I think, I think let's, this, is, this is the sort of thinking we've got to introduce into the game to try and build a crowd. You know, so you get, I think a lot of, People who watch the men's game, if it's made easy for them, will stick. Will stick around and watch watch another game. They'll give it a go. I think a lot will do. Will do that. I would. You know, if you if I, I wasn't committed to the women's game, I'd give it a go. And I think once people see the products, they'll start to think. Actually, I, I quite fancy watching a bit more of this. But again, you've got to make it easy for people. Yeah, you have. I agree with that. You do need to make it easy. It's ready. The, the women are playing ready after the men have played a Premier League game. It'll be interesting to see, anyway. Like you say, it's an interesting experiment in that one, just to see what sort of crowds they get for that. Because uh, it's not a big prestigious, it's not like a London derby they're playing there, where, you know, that sells itself. It'll be interesting to see. I, I believe Arsenal have committed to more games at the Emirates next season as well. Yeah, yes. five of them. Games. I think it's five. And that, that's worked really well for them. You know, and, and you know, the derby, I, was at, we were, I think we were all at the, the home derby. 
And there was loads of people around me that had never been to a foot, literally never been to a football game, let alone a, a women's game. You know, you've got to you've got to start using the big stadiums because people will come. You know, there was forty odd thousand on for the derby, um, and people come because it's. Let's be honest; it's a cheap day out initially, but once they get in there, the cheap, the cheap, the the key is to make the cheap day out the easy hit into something more regular. Because when people get there, they really enjoy the experience. It's not just a day out with the flags and you know hot dog and all of that. It's actually watching really good football. It's and I, on that, I mean, I took my my sister came and said we were playing West. It was the West Ham game, and I I was like. I'm not missing another game. And I don't really yeah. miss the Chelsea game uh, because I started my new job um, and I couldn't kind of, they voted me on to do, to, to play that game. And because I, I just started, I was too scared to say, no, I can't, <laughs> I can't do that a day. Uh, so you can imagine how that went down. But anyway, um, my sister was coming up and I, I was like, oh, you know, we've got, we've got a game. Do you want to come? And she was like, no, no, I'm not really into women's football. And I was like, come on, just come. If anything, you know, I'll I'll buy you dinner. <laughs> you know, at best you're gonna get a meal, aren't you? Um, so she loved and but she loved it. She was like, I can't believe it. It's so different to the men's game. The 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 tactical, they know what they're doing, you know, it's it, it you can see the it's entertaining, you know. She was entertained and if anything, you know, she she enjoyed it and would like to go again. And and you you try it. I mean, I don't know how much a ticket is. What is it? Eight quid, six quid? I don't know what we're selling them for these <laughs> these days. I've never seen the, the prices. But like you said, you, you you've got an afternoon out, you know, and you might be entertained. You might enjoy it, and then you might want to go back. But no, it's value for money. It yeah, is well generally. It's less, than, it's less than a cinema ticket. That's what you got to think about. You, you're watching world class footballers for less than a cinema ticket. A family can go to the ground on a family ticket for less than a single ticket at the Etihad. So you can take your partner and your kids or whoever, whatever combination to the game for less than going over to the Etihad. And you can get in as well. I just I tell, I tell, I tell you something funny as well that happened the other week. So <laughs> we, was, we was at the game the other day and uh, I come out and I wanted a drink um, and I went to queue up uh, to get uh, a bit of food and a, a bit of a drink. And one of my next door neighbours I gave him my season ticket so they could you know go to the game and um she came up and she said oh you know thanks for the season ticket thanks for your ticket let me get you drink and I was like so I was queuing up and then she was like yeah I'll, I'll buy you a drink what do you want and and she went to pay for my drink and I said and, and then remembered that they were free <laughs> <laughs> so they're still doing the free, the, you know, the free drinks. Oh, yeah. Well, not only are you getting an entertaining day out, you know, a football, you know, good for, value for money as well. You're also getting free <laughs> free refreshments. I mean, there isn't any other club that does that in the WSL as far as that, I know. That, that's a lifesaver on a, on a December night when you're playing in the Conti Cup and it's freezing cold and that's yeah, free coffee. So, yeah, thank you both guys for joining me this week. It's been great. I think we've covered quite a lot there. Obviously, looking ahead now to the LSV, that derby, that Manchester derby. Before we go, let's just finish up with a quick cheeky prediction. Paul, you can go first. They can have a oh, thing. Oh, you put me on the spot. I'm going to go 2-1 uh, City. 2-1 City. But it could go either way. But I'm going to... I'm going to... Put my neck on the line and say 2-1 City. And I'll say City or mate. I, th I think I agree, Paul. I think it will be... A 
Blood and Thunder derby. I think they'll both go for it. So I think there'll be quite a few goals. I'll go. City will make up for it and give us a, a big end to the season and win three two. Um, but I do think I do think it will be an end to end game. I can definitely guarantee that. I've just got three two, and I've got if that vision of Ellen White in front of the away fans yeah. with her arms out. Oh, that was such a moment. Um, I honestly think it's it's going to be a low scorer. I think it's going to be hard, um, but I think we may just break that deadlock uh, in the second half a little bit late on, 1-0 uh, uh, to City. It'll be interesting to see who's right, won't it? <laughs> yeah, very varied predictions there. It's I not often I'm right, so don't put any money on it. <laughs> yeah, very hard, very, very hard. Thank you ever so much, uh, both of you, and I'm sure we'll catch up uh, and recap on, on the game itself. Cheers, Emma. See you soon. Bye. And that's it for this week's episode of MCW Fancast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks to Paul and today for joining me on this week's show. We'll be back next week and we'll be recapping on the highly anticipated Manchester derby and previewing Manchester City's final game of the season against Everton at the Academy Stadium. Don't forget that next Sunday's game at the LSV is a sellout, so unfortunately there are no tickets currently available. However, the game is available to watch live on Sky Sports. Kickoff is quarter to seven. Make sure you follow us on social media to stay up to date. You can find us at MCW Fancast and join the conversation. We'll be back next week. Have a great week, everyone. Yeah.